Very excited about this week's podcast. With me is Davina Donovan. Davina has some fields of specialization that we're going to talk about today that have been very close to me. One of my friends took his own life smooth this week. Mate, you've touched us and a lot of people. And I think this is a really timely podcast for a lot of people. And Davina, it's really nice to have you on. I am so, so glad to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me. Nice. Let's rip in. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want, and should know about health, fitness, nutrition, and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hydroxyburn Shred Ultra, nootropic thermogenic. Shred Ultra is scientifically engineered to shred body fat, ignite metabolism, and boost all-day energy while enhancing cognitive performance, focus, clarity, and mood. It combines powerful fat-burning thermogenics, Garcinia, green coffee bean, guarana, caffeine, and an industry-leading four grams of acetyl L-carnitine with potent nootropic ingredients at effective therapeutic doses to give you maximum results. Welcome to Body Science HQ, the world of fit, happy, healthy. And today we are going to talk about suicide intervention. I'm a little bit stuck as words to say, as I said, smooth, I miss you, mate. But Davina, we're here to talk about people. We're here to talk about suicide. Do you want to give us a little bit of background on you before we start so people know why we're having this chat today? Yeah, sure. If I could start with just saying something around a bit of a disclaimer, I think you've very bravely talking about your friend and his passing. And this podcast is is likely going to tear at the heartstrings of some people listening. Uh, It may even trigger some people listening to experience their own thoughts or bring back memories of their own experience with suicidal family and friends. Uh, So to kick things off, I'd love to offer a couple of helplines and uh, words of advice and support. If at any stage anyone listening to this feels impacted in any way, please reach out. Uh, One of the favourite places I love to call is the Suicide Callback Service. It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week phone number and it's for anybody who is either thinking of suicide themselves, they're bereaved, they've been impacted by the loss of someone to suicide. Uh, So it's a really, really wonderful service that anyone can call at any time. So I really urge anyone to do that. Have you got that number on hand? I absolutely do. It's on my speed dial. Let me just grab it. Uh, I've called them many times also as a professional seeking advice and support for my clients uh, because I don't always have the answers. It is 1300 659 467. So that's 1300 659 467. That's a great way to start this podcast. Thank you for that. Look, a little bit about me. Um, Well, I'm a registered psychologist. I've been in the psychology industry for about 17 years. Uh, my very first position in the industry was at a suicide prevention institute. Uh, I am still contracted today as a senior researcher for them, uh, so the Australian Institute for Suicide Research and Prevention. Uh, I do a lot of clinical interviews. I've done a lot of research for them around the impacts of suicide on the population, on individuals who lose someone to suicide. I've done a lot of work with people who are acutely suicidal. Uh, I'm also a practicing clinician, so um, most days of the week I am doing some kind of therapy with all walks of life, uh, often around this suicide intervention space. Uh, I have a lot of other colourful things I could talk to you about, but that's probably the most important ones for today. That's fine. And uh, the way we met was you also own a couple of fit stops. I sure do. Yeah. Uh, I am the owner of 
stop at Nunda. Yep. We opened that uh, June 1st last year. Uh, we just opened, I'm a co-owner of Pit Stop at Aspley, which opened on the 31st of October. Nice. Very passionate, avid Fit Stopper I am. <laughs> so stepping out of Fit Stop and getting back to uh, your place in life and, and, and the career path you took, the journey you took, what, what brought you to start that journey? Oh my gosh, that's a wonderful question. Um, you know, interestingly, I left high school with the intention on being a lawyer and a journalist. And I didn't quite get the OP that I wanted to get into law. So mm. I thought, bugger it, I'll just do a Bachelor of Arts. Yep. You know, I'll figure something out. Uh, I might did have one of them myself. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that actually. I did see that. Uh, we actually both went to Griffith. Oh, there you go. You and I did. We're both alumni for Griffith. I bet your degree um, was shorter than mine. <laughs> I spent six years at UD, which I'm actually grateful for because that first year of uni doing a, a bit of art, uh, I think, paved the way for me to be a bit more successful in the next few years. Nice. But I did a I did a law subject and then a journalism subject, and I realised that to be a lawyer, the message was I had to be willing to screw people over, and that just didn't fit with my values. And to do journalism, I had to lie to people. That was the <laughs> message I got. I thought, man, that just doesn't, <clears throat> that's not me. Uh, I did for a bit of fun one psychology subject, and I'll never forget it. The lecturer came in and he ripped this shirt, this like um, shirt off with buttons, and his buttons went flying, and underneath was this uh, shirt of Freud with some flashing lights. That was my first introduction to psychology. <laughs> I thought, man, this is fun. Like, I can do this. <laughs> anyway, I, it turned out he was an incredible lecturer and I just, I fell in love with the idea that we could understand the human mind better and then use that information for very good purposes in the future. Uh, I transferred into psychology and accidentally fell into a job in at the Institute for Suicide Research and Prevention and never looked back. Nice. What type of work do they do there? Oh, so much stuff. Yeah. Uh, not only do they, are they a research institute, they're actually as part of Griffith University do a Masters of Suicidology. Really? Uh, which I have not done. No, it's, it's incredible. They're Masters. You can specialize in the topic of, of suicide uh, as a Masters program. So my supervisor who helped me become a psychologist is the senior lecturer for that program. Uh, so not only do they do that, they do a lot of supervision. So I supervise a number of other health professionals around the topic of suicide and mental health. Um, I'm their clinical supervisor. I do a lot of research or they do a lot of research there around the impacts that suicide has on the family and friends of people who've taken their own life. Uh, I do a lot of research around a really awful topic, but very important topic of child suicide. Uh, suicide in elderly populations. We look at difference between men and women. Uh, they also have something called the Queensland Suicide Register, which is a very, very accurate place where all suicides in Queensland are recorded so that we can use the information to better inform, you know, policies, uh, help clinicians, uh, I suppose, be better at understanding suicide. Well, it's interesting you should use that word understanding because it's a word I've had a big think about this week. Can we go through, like, can we dig right in? Let's just go deep, like understanding the signs of mental health, anxiety, depression, you know, what can we do to help? Yeah, great question. Uh, look, it's a, it's an easy yet difficult answer. Um, sounds a bit um, counterintuitive, but I think there are a number of you know, generic warning signs for mental health issues and then specifically more for suicide. Uh, you know, some of the generic stuff is someone who might be having trouble sleeping. You know, someone who's anxious tends to avoid situations. So they might not come out. They might not go to work. They might hide away. You know, people who are depressed often are teary. They're irritable. 
their appetite either increases or decreases. There's a lot of generic signs, but I often when I sort of teach people about this topic, I urge people to look at the individual signs of the person that you're that's in front of you. And often a sign of someone struggling is that they're doing something that's not normal for them. So for me, I give an example of me. I'm a terrible sleeper. I always have been, mm-hmm. which is ironic because I know sleep hygiene. <laughs> I could quote the book on sleep hygiene, yet I am an awful sleeper. So that's that's not a sign of mental illness, uh, you know, for me having poor sleep. But for you, if you were a really solid sleeper and all of a sudden you started to find yourself having difficulty getting to sleep or falling asleep, um, so falling asleep or staying asleep, that's that's a, a warning sign that's more unique to you. Okay. Uh, so having a conversation with someone is usually a really nice way of understanding where they're at and what might be going on for them. Wow. That's um that's really interesting. So you've gone a step further. You've written a couple of books. I've written a book. I'd like to say a couple. Okay. Uh, I've got another one coming. It's it's in the works. <laughs> uh, I might have heard that whisper. So you want to tell us about your book? Oh, I would love to. Uh, look, have you got one there you can show us? I do. Oh gosh, such a shameless. I'm gonna pull it out from the bookshelf. Let's plug me. away. Let's let's talk about <laughs> something good for a second. Look, it's actually adorable. I'm so proud of this. It was one of my lifelong goals was to author a book. You can see it. I even designed the front cover myself. Wow. Look, I've, I've done a lot of work in my time working with teenagers and families. That's probably the, the age group that I have most experience with. And is that why you called it what your teen is telling me and what, what your teen and why they're not telling you? Correct. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I've spent a lot I've spent a lot of time talking to, to young people and they they do. They literally tell me things that they would never tell their parents. Yeah, okay. And parents would come to me and say, what are they telling you? And, you know, client yeah, exactly. confidentiality can't spill the beans. Uh, you know, there's a reason for that. Obviously, it's, you know, to have therapy work, that needs to be a trusting relationship. And if I'm telling a parent what their child is telling me, it, there's no trust there. Uh, so I decided rather than telling an individual parent what is going on for their child, I would write a book and collectively tell all parents pretty much the same kind of thing. This is pretty much what all the teenagers have been saying to me over the years. I'm going to reveal it to you and I'm going to tell you what you need to do differently to get that information from them. My dream in life is to be obsessed and have psychology is not a necessary profession. So if I can do anything to educate someone else to make my job even more obsolete, then that's what this book's about. So let's dig deep into this book without giving away the fact that people should go, where can we buy it? Look, uh, look, it goes into things like communication strategies that parents can use, teaching some of the stages of adolescent development, uh, simple things like how to be a better listener, uh, how to empathize, how to validate. Uh, it goes through drugs and alcohol whole. There's a topic on suicide, a chapter on suicide, friendships, but mostly it's about how do you see your child as an emotional thing that is developing? Uh, Because teenagers look, I always say the analogy, they're like a shiny hot Ferrari. They look like they're all ready to go, but they don't have any break. They're always doing silly things. Uh, And how can you see your child in a slightly different light uh, and help them more rather than being upset with them, which is a common thing parents say to me is I'm just, I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. They won't do this or they don't understand this. So I suppose the book is about how do you see your child in a bit of a different light to be able to help you feel less frustrated, but also help your child learn and grow through to the adult years. Yeah, nice. Nice. So tell, tell me something. I, w- I want to step back into the suicide part of what your, your, your journey's been. Is there a lot of available resources for people that have not the person who's actually, and I used the word committed suicide before, and you actually pulled me aside and said, hey, Greg, you want to 
to tell people what you actually said to me? Uh, <laughs> I did. Look, the, the, the disclaimer to that is, I again, like you said, I've, I've worked for a long time uh, and I've spoken to hundreds, possibly even up to thousand people who have lost someone to suicide. I had the very unique role of doing psychological autopsies. So this is a process whereby I would interview the next of kin of a person who took their own life. And I'd spend three or four hours with that person mapping out day one of that person's life to the end of their life and finding out as much as I could. So I was getting to know these people quite intimately. And through their lived experiences, a very common theme was this word committed. Uh, It's quite a derogatory term. It's got a lot of negative connotations attached to it. Uh, And I said to you, in some countries around the world, the word, the act of suicide is still considered a criminal act. So if someone was to die by suicide in a different country, their family may be incarcerated. Mm -hmm. If they attempt suicide, they may then be incarcerated. Uh, In some religious circles, suicide is considered a sin. So when we talk to talk about people who've taken their own life or someone who's they attempted suicide and they we say they've tried to commit suicide it shines a sorry it, it puts a bit of a negative uh, label around that person and what we want to do is make suicide something people feel comfortable talking about and if anyone listening was to hear the word committed it may make them want to you know shine shy away from discussing it because it's a sin or it's the wrong thing yes uh, so it's just that little tiny this other other tweaks in language we can use when we're talking about suicide but that's a really really big one that really does it can have a, a negative impact on other people yeah you use the word took own life yeah took yeah. their own life or died by suicide or died by suicide okay that's an interesting thing that um i'll be really honest i hadn't even thought of and no, no one does that's the thing it's um you know it's one of those things that, that i'm very very hypersensitive to yeah. and now that i've told you and now that your listeners have heard this you'll start to absolutely. hear when people use it yeah absolutely and you'll have that little moment of oh that's I, I, that's not the right word i'm going to do my thing to educate people and for the more like i said my mission in life is to make the psychology industry obsolete the more people we can educate and the more people who understand the more collectively we can make a big difference nice so tell me sonny this interviewing process that you just went through with the thousands of people um post someone taking their own life how did you get up every day to do that like what was it what was that i mean that could be the most incredible thing you've ever done in your life it could also be the easiest thing to take home and think about when you're lying in bed like how did you as a human get through that uh, again wonderful question look it was an interesting journey i was i was young i was still studying psychology i wasn't even a, a psychologist at that time i was working in the industry and to be really honest it was it was very difficult uh i got to the point where i did get burnt out by it i experienced a very common thing that health professionals experience and that's compassion fatigue uh compassion fatigue as the name suggests you just don't have the ability to care anymore yeah and you're tired so thankfully i had enough self-awareness because of my beautiful supervisor who i will tell her to listen to this so she can hear (laughs) me plugging her uh, she always taught me to be reflective. She said, you have to stop and reflect back on your own behavior and your own experiences. And you have to analyze yourself and understand yourself better to be able to make changes moving forward. So I got burnt out and I looked back and said, well, why is this happening? What can I do differently? And I assertively said to the director of the Institute at the time, I can't keep doing this many interviews a day or this many interviews in a week. And I said to him, if you want me to keep doing this, I'm going to have to cut back to a maximum of two a day and no more than five across a whole week. 
Wow, that's and still a lot of work. It's still a lot of work, but I was doing up to three a day. Wow. Which is absolutely incredible. And the irony of it was I was talking to people about suicide and mental health, yet mine was suffering. Mm. And it's interesting. It's a learning that I have then taken forward in life, and I've spoken at many events uh, around the topic of self-care, particularly as a health professional, but just as a, I've done a lot of talk around women's empowerment and how women uh, and mothers in particular can take care of themselves better. You have to, to be a better clinician, to be a better mother, to be a better person, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. So I said to him, I can't do this. Uh, I ended up actually writing a manual <laughs> that then guided future psychological autopsy interviewers on self-care and how they could sustain the position and not walk away from it the way that many had done before me. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. And now I do this very big, annoying advocacy on you have to take care of yourself. Absolutely. And look, for all my friends out there that you know knew Shmoo, like I didn't know him as well as some people and he's really touched my life, what type of things are out there for us? like people like the survivors and I'm not talking immediate family and I'm just talking the people that just love that person being in their life. I don't know if there's anything specific. I mean, you can call those those services and get some support, but you know, suicide bereavement is such a unique thing. Uh, one of the biggest, I suppose, most famous versions of this was when we lost Robin Williams. And I remember you mentioning to me off offline that sometimes um, Shmoo, yeah. that's how you pronounce Shmoo, it? Yeah. yeah, such a cool name, uh, was this bubbly, bright yeah, life of the party. Life, uh, yeah. uh, Robin Williams was, was a similar person. Yet behind all of that, there was stuff that many people weren't ever uh, privy to. Um, and the impact that then that, that, that bark, that ray of light then has on the rest of us can be quite difficult. And people would often say, well, why are, why are these random strangers grieving Robin Williams' death? They didn't even know him. It's because suicide impacts the individual person in such a different way. So I, my advice to you as someone who cared about this person is to do whatever you need to make yourself feel better. And that might be that you have to cry and cry openly, let people know that it hurts sometimes and that that's okay. I'm a very good person of going into tangents, but I tend to come back. <laughs> Little tangent. I was literally speaking to a client yesterday uh, to her dad and he thought he had to hide his feelings from her because it was protecting her from you know, his feelings. And I said to him, no, when we experience a human emotion, it's so important that we share it with people because it normalizes that we're all human and we have emotion. Yeah. So if you have to cry, you just cry. It's perfectly fine. If you need to say goodbye, you make sure that you say goodbye in a way that is going to be perfect for you. you know, people go to funerals to say goodbye, but that might not be the way you say goodbye. You, know, you said he was a surfer. You might go out onto the waves by yourself and sit there and you know send a prayer out. You might go for one last surf. You might, whatever you need to do that, that is your way of saying goodbye to your mate. There's no right or wrong way of doing it and there's no quick fix for it either. Yeah, okay. It does help often to talk about it as well and share the good stuff, share the stuff you loved about him. Interestingly too with suicide, and I think you may relate to this, is there's often this added burden of things such as guilt. Uh, why didn't I see this coming? Why couldn't I stop it? Why couldn't the mental health professionals stop it? Why did this have to happen? So there's often guilt and anger attached to suicide loss. And sometimes there's relief attached to suicide loss, which is so confusing. Imagine having someone you love so desperately, they take their own life and now you feel relieved that they're gone Yeah. because of the battle and the pain they're experiencing and you're relieved and then you feel guilty for being relieved and it just creates a more, 
more emotion. So I'm telling you this because it's sometimes it's helpful to talk to someone who can say to you, that's okay. That's very common. You're not alone. Many people experience that. So you don't feel like this weird person who's having these uncomfortable feelings. You're not alone in that experience. Thanks for that. That was um that was me. You just explained me. So for everyone out there, suicide impacts a lot of people. It is something that needs to be spoken about. How do people contact you if somebody wants to chat with you? So that's a great question as well. Look, I do have a website. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, Greg. I, I'm i not the best person at <laughs> talking about my how to, my stuff and my book. It's, it's, it's I'm coming very proud across, of it. That's coming across clearly. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I've got, a, so I've got a, a website and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But look, ultimately, I don't, I don't, I don't like promoting myself. It's mm-hmm. not about me getting recognized or fame or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. But I do want to help people, mm-hmm. of course. The interesting thing about me is I, I do see clients, um, but I don't have a huge, I don't have a lot of time, unfortunately, yep. to dedicate to helping people as much as I would like to. Yes. However, having said that, I'm willing to give out my contact details if anyone wants to ask some questions. What I would typically do if someone is in need is direct them to a place where they can rely on it might be a 24-hour seven phone number. Yep. Anyway, this might be a bit we cut out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think, I think it's... it's hard like, to get hold of me sometimes. People need to know that. I mean, if you're not the person, that's fine. I mean, we should definitely talk about your book, what your teen is telling me and why they're not telling you where can people get that book uh, they can get it on my website yeah which is or they can just which is www.davinadonovan.com.au so that's d-a-v-i-n-a-d-o-n-o-v-a-n.com.au they can just email me and i can just send it a copy emailing is pretty simple it's, it's just a hotmail account yeah. um, but davina is at live.com.au nice and the reason that davina has no time is she's a speaker author psychologist yoga teacher yoga teacher and a fit stop owner so you are a very very busy human and I really thank you for coming on today it was like a little therapy session for me so I appreciate it sorry about the tears oh, early gosh. on <laughs> but, oh gosh you know what Greg tears tears are amazing and look I'm going to be a bit stereotypical here but men you guys aren't the greatest no. at displaying emotion sometimes and it, there's no coincidence that the suicide rate in men in this country far outweighs the rate of suicide in women and I I'm actually so proud that you're able to be teary and to tell people that you're sad and that you're upset and that it hurt because we need to say that. And I think as an influential man, you're in a very strong position to be able to do that. So don't underestimate the power of your vulnerability and how much that's actually going to benefit other people. I think sometimes I get on a bit of a high horse when we step outside of our lane sometimes and you know give mental health advice when we're not qualified to. But what you're doing is perfect. You're not giving mental health advice. You're not pretending to be something you're not. You're being an authentic human being. And that is absolute gold. That's going to help people. Well, I appreciate that. This is the toughest podcast I've ever done. I actually got a phone call from one of Shmoo's mates who I hadn't met, but we worked together on an event that they did. I just got off the phone from him before I met you today. So it's been a it's been a big couple of hours for me. For anyone out there that needs help, Lifeline 13, 11, 14, all day, every day. They're 24 hours a day. You spoke earlier about other groups 
groups to talk to. It's a real thing. Talk to people if you need help, kids. Get out there. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Not you. a problem. Today's podcast was brought to you by our partners in Fit, Happy and Healthy, ASN, Nutrition Warehouse, DY Discount Vitamins, Fat Burners Only, Evelyn Fay, Mr. Supplement, or find a retailer online at bodyscience.com.au forward slash retailers.